There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by speaking to someone who has helped shape the city. This week I'm joined by Chief Executive of Home, that's Manchester's Centre for Contemporary Art, Theatre, Film and Music, and he's also the Director of Culture for Manchester City Council, Dave Mootry. He's going to tell us about the particular revolution that completely changed his life. I went to Leeds to become an art teacher. Then punk happened and... Uh, what I discovered is you don't need permission to make art. And he'll also speak about being a pioneer for the arts in Manchester 30 years. All of us understand that what's important is our city and how artists interface with that in order to make people's lives better in where, where we can. It gives a great pleasure to welcome to the studio a man who is uh, currently director and chief exec for the Orm Cinema Theatre and Arts Complex in Manchester, originally from the North East, and the part he's played in developing Manchester's Art and theatre culture, to me, in my opinion, is immeasurable. Dave Mootry, it's great to finally meet you. Nice to meet you too. First in a person, as opposed to on a stage. Saw the Inspirals play back in the day, did you? Yeah, yeah. Right. Did you like it? Oh, hi. Yeah, it was great. It was a great time. <laughs> yeah, I loved it all. 
I'm trying to remember which albums have we also got at home. Um, everything's packed. We just moved out, so everything's packed up. So I'm feeling a bit disconnected right. from my record and CD collection. But well, when you unpack uh, them, bring them in here. I'll sign the Inspire ones for you. Good. Do what you want. <laughs> I've got a feeling. Our, even though our paths haven't crossed directly, we've been in Manchester. We, we've sort of worked in parallel with each other. I, I was involved in the '90s with Oldham Council, doing work to help bands get into the industry and find grants and all that. You've been doing that. You've been a bit of a pioneer in this city. Uh, doing that same sort of stuff, aren't you, for all that time? Um, a pioneer, I don't know, but... Uh, um, a grafter. I've been, I've been doing a bit of heavy lifting. I mean, one of the jobs that I've got uh, within... When I was working at the Abraham Moss Centre, when I was working at Corner House, when I was uh, working and I'm working for home, is to try and uh, find space for the next generation artists to come through. And, um, and, and so we've done a lot of work there, working particularly with young people, but also emerging artists who are a bit older as well. We could always do more. Uh, there's never enough space, but that's always been part of what we've been trying to do. So mm. um, uh, similar paths crossed. We work with similar people. Yeah. And I did the odd gig in Oldham myself as well, doing a bit of street theatre in the, back in the day. Right, because so. you are a theatre producer. And are you an actor as well? Um, I wouldn't describe myself as an actor. I am somebody who has acted. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, my, my greatest gift to the art of acting is not to do it anymore. Right. Uh, so I've, I've stopped doing that. I'm going to look. I'm going on YouTube after to see if I can find you. Uh, uh, I, I, there's, there is some street theatre stuff there if you look hard <laughs> enough. Let's go back to obviously you're not from here originally. You are from the northeast. Yeah. Tyneside. You said Teesside. 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 Smoggy. Smoggy. I've never heard that expression. Yeah. And it's probably because of the atmosphere up there, is it? It is indeed. Is it still as bad as that? Is it cleaned up a bit in the, um, uh, the modern age? Uh, yeah, not by design. I think it's more by default because the industry's been uh, hammered uh, big way. I mean, the last steelworks closed. Uh, I think it was last year. So, uh, Middlesbrough is much, very much post-industrial now. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not that they wanted that, but it's been imposed on them, really. Yeah. But um, a great place, great people, very inventive, creative. If you want an idea of why Teesside's called, uh, you know, people from Teesside are called Smoggies, uh, Ridley Scott, who's from Teesside originally, uh, took the production designer for Blade Runner, according to legend, and showed him the chemical works at ICI Wilton and said, "That's what I want." Blade Runners look like so you see oh. all those flare stacks and all yeah. of that sort of stuff that's what Teesside was like in its heyday right. um, it, it, it was a, a massive place for producing uh, uh, chemicals and steel and, and, and stuff uh, ships uh, and that sort of thing but it's it, it's not anymore apocalyptic People, and in the middle of it you were dancing in the street somewhere in your leggings indeed yeah <laughs> do, 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 doing a bit of that yeah. tell us about when you were when you were born, what your childhood was like, paint us a little picture. I've got a feeling that what, a lot of what you're going to tell us is similar to my memories of growing up in Oldham. I'm just on the outskirts of Manchester. Yeah, well, um, I was. Um, uh, I come from a long line of uh, working class people, really. My dad drove trucks, mum worked in a shop, and uh, they were always wanting, like most working class people, better for the kids. And, and I was fortunate enough to benefit from a, a liberal education system in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, where arts and culture was seen to be part of uh, of a proper education. I'm very angry that that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. Mm. So I was given exposure to things that I wouldn't have had a chance to be exposed to. You know, um, My first trip to London was actually at sixth form, going down to, uh, as part of the art trip, to go and have a look at the Tate. Yeah. I remember going, going to the Roscoe Room and having almost an out-of-body experience looking at that work. And What year was that, roughly? Um, that will have been 1974. Yeah, OK. I was born in 59, so a similar age. My first trip to London ever was courtesy of the art school that I was at in the 70s, 76. Yeah. So it's 1974, you're at the Tate Gallery, you're back in the Rothko room. And then, um, just by chance, I actually wanted to be an architect. And the careers teacher at school said, oh, son, you, you haven't got Latin. 
<laughs> uh, you can only do architecture if you've got Latin, which is I've since found out, obviously, is nonsense. But yeah. um, why don't you, you know, just think about getting some A-levels. That's a big step for a lad from a working-class family like you, you know. So I go and do the A-levels, and, and when I'm there, I'm thinking, hmm, I fancy art school. So I actually got into an art school to do a foundation course. And then Chris said, art teacher, you'll never make any money, lad, you know. And you've got now behind you because your folks have got no, no, no money. Why, why don't you become a teacher? That's a good thing for a, a big step for your family for you to become a teacher. <laughs> and so I, I, I went to Leeds to become an art teacher. And then punk happened. So I went to Leeds Art College. Uh, I went to Leeds Poly, yeah. Then punk happened. Yeah. And uh, what I discovered is you don't need permission to make art, whether that's music, theatre, visual art, and that the whole revolution changed my life. You were probably, I'm guessing, right, I don't, I've not looked up when you were born. Were you born in 1958? Yeah. You were one year older than me because I was, when punk happened, it was 76. I was at art college. I'd just applied to Leeds to go to uni to do art. Right. So we would have been, we could have been mates there. Could, could have been. Well, uh, if, if, if you ever saw a punk band at Leeds Poly during the 70s, chances are I was on stage. Because I, I used to, be, being, being a big guy, I used to do on stage security. So oh, right, I, okay. I, I, there isn't a punk band during that period that, that I hadn't seen. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why my hearing isn't particularly good. Because in those days, people didn't do health and safety. Oh, it's brilliant. And I've, I've got tinnitus <laughs> all the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 it just changed my philosophy. And I, when I speak to young people today, it's, you know, you don't need permission. Just do it. Yeah. When do I get the money for? Well, find it and yeah. do it without money. You can do stuff without money and be creative and stuff like that. And then that you find that actually money follows ideas. And if the ideas are good enough and strong enough, then you'll find the money. It follows um, passion as well. I think it, passion, it, yeah. whatever you're creating, whether you're a musician, whether you're a dancer, a painter, whatever, it's like if you do it with passion, people buy into that. Yeah. It's infectious, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and I've, I've met lots of passionate people along the way. And actually a lot of those passionate people have been teachers. You know, mm. whether it's at primary school, secondary school, sixth form, or or, or indeed at, at university. Passionate people inspire you and make you want to go off and do stuff. And then you meet more passionate people, and it's just like, that's the way it is. So punk rock came and completely changed everything for you in 1976. Yeah. yeah. What happened then? Um, I, I started a theatre company while I was still a student, working with uh, some friends, and then I, I got a job teaching in Oldham. Uh, you probably know the school, South Chadderton School in Oldham. I, I, I taught drama there. Is that on Broadway? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, they demolished it recently. I did, though. I think it's gone now. I think there's a big academy there instead. Ah, uh, right, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, uh, I got a job teaching there and as a drama teacher. And it was only when I when I actually started there. This is one of the things I learned about interviews, actually. When you get interviewed for a job, you need to interview the people who are interviewing you to find out what the job is. When I got there, I discovered that the reason I got this job as drama teacher was because I was six foot four, played rugby, and was a former bouncer. Because drama was only for the inverted commas, thick kids. Yeah. Um, any, any of the smart kids did French. And so they, what they wanted was a, they wanted a bouncer come referee rather than somebody to teach. Well, I wasn't having that. I mean, I, I got involved in teaching. But I taught there for two and a half years. I love being in the classroom, but I, I, I'm not made for being in schools. I'm not a big fan of rules. So um, there's a job came up at the Abraham Moss Centre in North Manchester where they wanted a qualified teacher with professional theatre experience. And at this time I'd been doing stuff in professional theatre working at um, Forum Theatre in Billingham, and then I got involved with various uh, agitprop theatre companies in Leeds in the, in the 70s and stuff like that. And I thought, this is a job made for me, and actually it's one of the best jobs I've ever had, because Cheetah Mill uh, is a great place, uh, Cheetah Mill Crumpsall, you know. Um, and it, it, was, it was a place that was all about possibilities. 
we, we set up a, a, we did a big community theatre programme there, but do you remember the cutting room? Yeah, I used it, the studio, recording studios. Yeah. I remember at the time, this is where I first uh, became aware of your work, because I remember Abraham Moss at the time was in this region, it's quite a, a, I use the word pioneering again, to open that facility up to the community to yeah. do arts and music. The recording studio was brilliant, the cutting rooms, I did yeah. a lot of work there. Uh, so you were the chap that built that? Well, I, got, I worked with a council to get the money, and um, I set it up, but I left just before it opened, which was the biggest disappointment in my life, really. I never got to play with it. I actually built, there was an eight-track studio, which we set up, Struder, one-inch tape, you know, which me and a guy uh, called Dave Cullen built by hand from scratch. And that was great fun. I really enjoyed doing all of that. But then we got this, um, I think it was, was it 32 or 64-track digital? It was one of the early digital studios and never got chance to play with it because I went off to, I set up an organisation called Arts About Manchester, which is a marketing cooperative. I remember that well as well. Back to the cutting rooms before we move on, that actually featured in the film 24 Hour Party People as well, yeah. didn't it? They used this, some, of, some of the scenes that they were filmed there. Yeah, indeed. So that, that was you coming to Manchester back then. You've never left, have you? No. Pretty much. You've stayed here since then. No. A big part of what I want to talk about is your connection with Manchester, what you think of the spirit of Manchester. I think there's a lot of similarities with the North East in terms of the industrial background of the cities and uh, the way the people are, you know, very warm. They're a warm sort yeah. of uh, community, aren't they? You've been in Manchester since the 90s. Tell me about Arts About Manchester, Dave. How did that come about? Arts About Manchester was a marketing cooperative of arts organisations in the city, working across the piece, music, theatre and uh, visual art. And it all came out of the fact that at the time, the, the Thatcher government was taking money out of arts funding and we all had to get a bit better at getting audiences. Mm. And, and we could have gone to a commercial organisation, but again, punk thing. Let's get a co-op. Yeah. So we, you know, we all, we all pooled our resources, all the organisations in the city, which actually created the foundations for a lot of things. So Manchester as a city, the big cultural institutions work together and collaborate to this day. One of the reasons the council has invited one of the cultural leaders, it ended up being me, to be the director of culture for the city on a part-time basis is because we all have signed up to the same agenda. We all yeah. want to do the same thing. Now, normally a council, if they want a director of culture, will create a post in the council and appoint somebody to that. Manchester's unusual. It says, actually, you guys know what you're doing. We'll take your advice. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have control over the money, over the budgets, but we work with the council on the policy and the strategy, and that's actually quite innovative. And that all goes back to the setup of Arts About Manchester and, uh, and, and that notion of we work better collaborating together. That's the thing about Manchester, you see. I mean, I remember... There was a broadcaster called Brian Redhead. He used to do the Radio 4 programme uh, today, you know, the news programme in the morning. And he used to do, uh, live in Manchester and go out of London. And he used to talk about Manchester being big enough for things to happen, but small enough for everybody to know everybody else. Yeah. And I came from the northeast to Manchester. I've never felt an outsider in this city because of the way people are. From I've, day one. From day one. Yeah. I've never felt an outsider. <clears throat> people take you for what you are and for what you do. And, and that's been by my experience. And, you know, I, I met my wife in this area I brought our kids were brought up here yeah. I lived in Mosley for 33 years I only just moved to Staley Bridge right. downsized so they can't come back <laughs> um, is your wife from these parts then? yeah yeah she's from uh, Little Lever in Bolton originally yeah uh, Sarah Cox is from Little Lever that's right, yeah. broadcaster anyway that's that's what I've liked about this place and uh, and it is a city it's easy to get a London from here well it's actually easy to get anywhere really yeah um, well, we're right in the middle, aren't we? So yeah, it's right like middle, just, yeah. only a couple of hours in any direction you're at the F sea, aren't you? Fantastic airport. <laughs> um, uh, now that West Coast Main Lines, but for the most part, the trains are all right. Yeah. So you can get most places. 
so so it's a good place to base yourself. But it's actually got all the infrastructure you need. You know, a, yeah. a, a good bookshop, fantastic record shops. Yeah. Still, even though the record shops seem to disappear for a while, we still yeah. manage to hang on to some great ones here, and a vibrant cultural scene. And mm. and. I, I really like it. And like I say, it's small enough where, I mean, you can walk, I always say you can walk through the city centre like from one side to the other in like 15 minutes, can't you? Yeah. From uh, Moss side to Collierhurst to whatever, you, you, you've walked through Manchester in like a quarter of an hour. If I walk across the city and I don't bump into somebody I know, yeah. it's a very unusual day. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the way it is. Tell us about Coin Rouse then, because you went from Abraham Moss, I said that was a bit of an institution, a bit of a groundbreaking place. Then you moved to something that became even more part of the city's culture, the Corner House Cinema Stroke Theatre. Tell us about that. Well, I, I joined Corner House in uh, 97, and it'd been open for a few years then. And my predecessor, Virginia Tandy, who'd been, she uh, went on to run Manchester Art Gallery. She'd been in the, uh, in the job four days when she discovered that the organisation was technically bankrupt. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> and so she spent four years sorting that out and getting it onto an even keel. Mm. And then I came in with the job of, of developing it. And we, there was something about the DNA of the place that was really exciting because people used to come out and all sorts of people came to hang out there and do yeah. things. Um, but the building was really struggling. So we, we spent quite a lot of time trying to look at how we could redevelop on the site because we really loved the site. But while we were trying to do that, we made improvements to things like the cafe and the bar and stuff mm -hmm. to keep the business going, which in one sense was great because attendance was increasing year on year. The business was getting better year on year. But the better we got, the worse the experience became for the visitor because people were queuing up outside in the rain yeah. for tickets of things. And Now, some people liked all of that, you know, there's this notion of shabby chic and all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> the... the Eventually, it was starting to come to a bit of a crisis point in that the building was actually starting to fall down. I mean, about a year before we moved out, a lump of the roof fell in on the projection box in Cinema One. Fortunately, oh, yeah. there was nobody in there. Um, I don't know if you know, but uh, Tony Wilson used to do a regular broadcast from our cafe on a Saturday morning. Yeah. In fact, his last broadcast was from our cafe, I was believe. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah. I do remember when uh, part of Coin House used to be the uh, Tatler Cinema Club, didn't it, in the uh, 60s and 70s? Is that it, right? It did. <laughs> Little uh, blue movies they used to put on there. It is. Yeah, that was, that was Cinema <laughs> One, yeah. Not that I ever went there. I was too young for it. But I remember going past on the bus and everybody was sniggering, yeah. Tatler Cinema T Club. Tatler Cinema Club. Yeah. Um, it, it, the Cinema One started off as the uh, stables for the station horses. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And then it became a Magic Lantern Cinema. Then yeah. it became a Newsreel Cinema. And then latterly it was, a, it was the Tatler. But it was a nice little story where... I don't know whether you know, but there's a bar, Revolution, the bar on the other side of the railway lines, yeah. used to have a cinema club, yeah. as they call them. Adult cinema. Adult cinema club. <laughs> and somebody died in there. And out of the blue, we got a letter from somebody to say, oh, it's really nice of you to look after my partner, having, you know, this person died. And it was you know, really respectful. And actually what happened when this person died, the police, rather than embarrass the family to say this person had just it in a porn club, told them that died in the foreign language cinema next door at our place, <laughs> which was really nice of the police, wasn't it? They you can know. be good like that, can't they? Yeah. Uh, so your new position now, you're Director of Culture for Manchester City Council and you're in charge of home. Yeah. You've got a lot on your plate, haven't you? Do you ever wake up in the morning and think, God, what, which hat have I got to put on today? Um, do you just have one so, big hat? <laughs> just one big hat, yeah. I've got a big head. I do, uh, but I've, I, I mean, I work with a great team of people. So... The thing about home is uh, my job is to is to look at the bigger picture most of the time and see what's coming down the line, how do we address that, and where does our programme fit in, and how mm. do we best serve the people of this city who pay for it. They own a building, it's their gaff. 
and we want them to get the most out of it. So that's the job. And then I've got a, a team of people there who are much smarter than I am at making sure that the things that we do are the right things to do that. Yeah. Um, with the city, the director of culture thing, um, that's a day week secondment. So right. again, I... I spend most of my time in meetings talking about things and, uh, and and advising, but there's a team of officers at the council who are the ones who do the real work about writing papers and stuff like that. So it's it's just my opportunity to bring, you know, 35 years of living in Manchester's experienced culture yeah. uh, and working in the cultural sector to bear on the wider conversations. But working in partnership with the leaders of all the major cultural institutions of the city because yeah. we understand, all of us understand, that what's important is our city and how artists interface with that in order to make people's lives better and where, where we can. And do you find in your working day that you still get a chance to appreciate the finer aspects of art or music or theatre or dance? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. La- last night uh, we had company Hoffa Schechter with uh, their young company on stage. So a group of dancers, average age 21. The show lasted an hour. It was one of the best hours I've spent in the theatre for a long time. Really a very powerful, strong sound, Contemporary dance, mm. beautiful, brilliant, strong images. Audience absolutely loved it. I, mean, I was stood with my daughter I was afterwards having a, a drink in a bar and people coming over to me telling me how fabulous they thought he was. Yeah. What's not I like about that? Yeah, you must be very proud of yeah, that. Yeah, it's cause fantastic. Because you, you were right in the middle of that development. As I said, since 1990, whatever you, that's what you've lived and breathed every day yeah. on behalf of Manchester. Try and describe that Manchester spirit because you mentioned like you've been, you felt welcome here since the minute you stepped off the train. Try and describe that Manchester spirit. What do you like about it? What do you think? How can you define it? Um, one of the things I like about it is that for the most... You, you get a bit of nostalgia from people sometimes, but actually most people are, on a, are more interested about what's happening now and what's happening tomorrow. And I think that that differentiates us for quite a number of other cities who seem in, in the north particularly who get stuck in a nostalgia for the past. And I think that keeps driving us forward. I think that for the most part, the people you meet in the city don't care who you are, they care about what you've got to offer and what you've got to say. Mm-hmm. And there are very few people I've ever come across in the city who's not up for a bit of a discussion about a topic, an issue, about politics, about society. People care. That, that radical tradition, which is, again, it's a much-used cliche about Manchester, but actually it's in the DNA of the city. People are up mm-hmm. for a bit of a debate about things and they want to argue about stuff. I think they're interested in each other, aren't they? They're interested you know, in each other. Look after, well, I mean, look what happened after the arena thing. Um... I mean, I was affronted that somebody did that to my city, to mm. our city. But the response of people in this city to that, and people from beyond, was just astonishing. Mm. And and that's going to become a bit of a cliche, just look what happened. Yeah. But actually, it doesn't matter you know, anything like that that happens to our city, that will be the response. Mm. I know it. Yeah. It happened after the 96 bomb. The defining moment, wasn't it? Yeah. What have been your, your most memorable... Manchester moments so far in your, in your time here? Oh, blimey. Memorable Manchester moments. Um, it, it's funny, I, I remember being in Castlefield Ball on the night we didn't win the Olympics. And I'd been there all day working with colleagues on press support and stuff like that because I was involved in that about Manchester at the time. And we didn't get it. And then spontaneously, the entire audience started singing Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. <laughs> And, and then, then it was a rave with 8-8 State, wasn't it, if I remember right? Yeah. <laughs> What's not Manchester about that? Beautiful. You know? it, was, it was fantastic. And yeah. it was just like, yeah, well, hey, let's roll with the punches. Yeah. I thought that was a, that was a really memorable, positive night. Yeah. Um, 
But, I mean, there's obviously big things like the 96 bomb. Uh, I had people working in the city centre that day. That was mm. pretty terrifying. What happened at the arena, the Ariana Grande concert, mm. that was that was very upsetting. Um, I like to focus on the re- on the really good things. And, yeah. and um, Commonwealth Games, everybody said it was going to be a disaster, and it so wasn't. Yeah. And I, I remember I went to the opening ceremony, and I was walking out through. There's like a there's a housing estate near there, and the local residents were there. Somebody on the balcony of a maze net. I was with a few people from the BBC, and this guy shouts down and said, uh, "What did you think of that?" And about said it was great. He said, "You tell everybody that was brilliant, and it happened in Manchester." You oh, know, the, and that sort of ownership and pride yeah, in it was brilliant. just great. Because they were the ones that you thought would have been complaining about the noise and the yeah. uh, the, the traffic. The, 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 you could see that their chests had expanded about six foot. Yeah, amazing. You know, and and I thought that was great. I assume that you're a big fan of the sort of development that we've seen over the last couple of uh, decades in the city centre in particular, because you're part of it, aren't you, with home? Uh, it's a great example of what's going on. I am part of it. There's things of it that I think we could have done better. Um, I'm speaking personally here. I'm not speaking on behalf of the council or anything. You have to get me yeah. um, I think we've got some good architecture, but some of the architecture could have been better. Um, I'd like to see more social housing in the city, uh, less private rental, because I think that, Communities develop when you have a really mixed, really good mixture of people. Absolutely, I've seen that in the uh, past, haven't we? In places like um, Moss Side, as it was in the early days, and yeah. you know it can be done, uh, can be done well, can't it? It can be done well. So, but generally, I mean, the city is there are big parts of the city that are performing well, but there are also big parts of the city that are left behind, and we've got to make sure that we do as much as we can to support those people who have been left behind. If I was to say to you, who are your favourite humans of Manchester, past or present? Who would they be? Two or three of them. Uh, Ellen Wilkinson. She was a, a politician. Uh, she was she was actually um, of Manchester, but she became uh, uh, I think she was MP for Middlesbrough. Right. But she was involved in the uh, Jarrow Hunger March, so she sort of connects a bit my past with ours. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Annie Horniman. The only known picture of Annie Horniman sits in our venue in in home, and she was a tea heiress. So she made a made a fortune. Her family made a fortune out of tea. Um, she decided not to spend a fortune on tea or more business. She established the Abbey Theatre in Dublin, the Playhouse, Liverpool Playhouse, uh, the Gaiety Theatre in Manchester. She was also involved with the Pankhurst. She was a contemporary of the Pankhurst and was involved in women's suffrage. And um, legend has it she scandalised Manchester society by smoking cigarettes in her silk pyjamas in the foyer of the Midland Hotel. So she was, a, she was clearly a punk. Sounds like one of us, that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and she's somebody I'd love to have met. And I only became really aware of her when we were doing the research for home. And uh, she brought Ibsen and Bernard Shaw to the attention of the British public and invented the repertory theatre movement, really, as well. Mm. So she was one hell of a person. So when, when I think about Mancunians uh, I'd love to know, yeah. it's people who'd like to sit down around a dinner table with a bottle of, bottle of wine and, yeah. and, and good food and have it. And you um, mentioned the late, great Tony Wilson. I'm Tony sure he's Wilson. up there on your list. And he's he's yeah. been the most popular uh, human of Manchester when I've asked that question on the podcast. So. Yeah, I feel myself really lucky to have met Tony I'd, and, and, and had some good conversations with him. Yeah. Um, he had quite an input to the organisational development at home in terms of being part of that conversation. Yeah. And, and Pete, you know, Peter Saville, you know, uh, Peter Saville, a really interesting guy. Part of the, not many people know that he was he was fundamentally involved in advising us on the branding for home. Right. And all of that sort of stuff. He was working as a critical friend for us on all of that. So very interesting, man. Came yeah, lovely well. chap. One more thing, I'm going to ask you: describe Manchester in three words. Welcoming, punk, and exciting. 
I like that. I'm having that. Dave Mutry, thank you very much for talking to humans of Excess Manchester. Thank you for having me. That was Dave Mutry. Make sure you join us next week where I'll be speaking to musician Aziz Ibrahim, most noted for his work with Simply Red, The Stone Roses, Ian Brown and Paul Weller. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Humans Excess and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Feel free to rate us, leave us a comment if you like what we're doing. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.